सन्नो मित्र संवरुण सन्नो भवत्न्न इंद्रो बृहस्पति सन्नो विष्णुक्रम नमो ब्रह्मणे नमस्ते वायमे प्रत्यक्ष ब्रह्मसे प्रत्यक्ष ब्रह्म वदिष्यम वदिष्यमे सत्यम वदिष्यमे तन्मावतु तद्वक्तावतु
completed a discussion on what we call the Shamadhi, Shritka Sampatthi, the six-fold inner wells beginning from Shama. We are in the process of discussing what is known as Sadhana Chatushta Sampatthi or the four-fold qualifications of which the first qualification was Viveka, discrimination. Showing thereby that it is most important or the primary thing is viveka, discrimination, that there should be discrimination in our life, that's all. What is meant by discrimination? To be able to separate what is right from what is wrong, what is proper from what is improper, what is permanent ultimately. In the beginning, the discrimination is of the nature of dharma and adharma. Dharma means what is right, adharma what is not right. Pravrittim, nivrittim, what should I do and what I should not do. Karyam, akaryam, what is proper to do, what is not proper to do. Bhayam, abhayam, what will lend me into fear and what will bring me to fearlessness. Bandham, moksham, what causes bondage and what perpetuates the bondage and what liberates. So this is how our intellect should function because human intellect has this faculty to be able to discriminate. And if we are using this intellect properly, then arises what we call the vairagya, because ultimately this intellect and the mind starts thinking of, or starts discriminating between what we call the permanent and impermanent. What I am seeking, what am I seeking? Then I realize that what I am seeking is permanent. So there is something permanent which is a self, which is Brahman, which is God, and everything other than that is impermanent. When this kind of an understanding arises, then arises what we call vairagya, vairagya or dispassion towards all that is not useful to me or that I do not need or that which contradicts my pursuit, vairagya or dispassion for the impermanent. Because I am seeking permanent and as long as I am after the impermanent, so long the permanent is denied. Therefore, the very seeking of impermanent is a denial of the permanent. The permanent and impermanent cannot be sought together, otherwise no problem. If you could combine, mix them up, that's fine. You cannot mix permanent and impermanent. In short, these, the search or the seeking of the impermanent excludes that of the permanent. And the seeking of the permanent excludes the impermanent. They are mutually exclusive fields of seeking. Impermanent is lying out there. And the permanent is my own nature, is within the, is the self. So either the mind can be running out there, it can be extrovert, or the mind can be abiding introvert. Either the mind can be focused upon the non-self, or the mind can be focused upon the self, but mind cannot be focused simultaneously on both of them, because both of these are mutually exclusive or mutually contradictory. And when this is recognized, that I am in fact hurting my own self by running after the impermanent things, which do not ultimately give me what I am seeking, then there is there arises what we call a healthy or a mature understanding about the non-self, about the impermanent. And that is the dispassion and objectivity. So, vairagya or dispassion means a passion for the permanent, a dispassion for the impermanent. Understand that the mind always has passion somewhere. When it has passion for impermanent, doesn't have passion for the permanent. As it becomes free from the passion of the impermanent, it discovers a passion for the permanent or the self. That is wherever the passion is, that's where the mind goes. If the passion is for the self, well, that's where the mind will abide. This is called vairagya. <coughs> and from that would arise what we call the shamadhi shatka sampattihi. This vairagya or this passion, as I see it in my life and I try to imbibe it in my life, then slowly and slowly, I see that my mind, because of habitual error, still run af- runs after the impermanent. So understanding is one thing and being like that is another thing. Value or understanding perception is one thing and imbibing that in our life is yet another thing. Thus I have a value for truth. I have a value for non-violence. I understood it very well. I know what is to be gained by truth and what is to be lost by compromising the truth. All of that I have understood. But to actually speak truth requires an alertness in a given situation because suppose habitually I have been speaking untruth. Suppose habitually I have been violating, in which case it is going to call for an alertness to restrain my mind from its habitual patterns of violation 
and bring it to what we call the non-violence. Similarly, habitually the mind has been running after the objects, not knowing what it wants, it has been habitually seeking the impermanent and deriving or trying to derive joy out of that. Now I have understood that's not right, but the mind habitually runs after that. Therefore, I bring back the mind. Every time I make the mind see that what you are running after is impermanent, that's not what you are seeking. What you are seeking is permanent. So, shamaha, thus educating the mind. Thus, we accept two faculties within ourselves. One is called the thinking faculty, another is called the habitual faculty or emotional faculty. So, in the thinking faculty, in the intellect, the via viveka and vairagya, the discrimination and dispassions are seen. But habitually, that habitual or impulsive faculty has been still running after the things. And therefore, every time the mind runs out there, I make it see, look, what I am running after is impermanent. Is it going to give you what you are seeking? Make the mind see the futility of its pursuit and thus bring it back. Not by force, but by education. Thus we bring the mind back. So the kind of restraint of the mind that we want is not restrained in some terms of forcing or suppressing the mind, but in terms of educating the mind. Making the mind see what the intellect sees. Making the habitual faculty or the impulsive faculty see what the thinking faculty sees. And then slowly and slowly we achieve what we call a harmony between the intellect or the thinking faculty and the mind that is the habitual or impulsive faculty. We know very well that when we act out of an impulse, at that time all our wisdom and all of that is relegated to the background. It's not useful in practice. So much we know. And still very often our conduct or our behavior does not manifest that knowledge or wisdom. Because when we are actually acting, we are at that time under the spell of some impulse, a habitual impulse. Thus impulsively the mind runs out. Thus we have to bring it back by alertness and by a process of education or resolving. Not by suppression but by a process of education. Make the mind see every time it runs there. And this is how we establish what we call a harmony between the thinking faculty and the behaving or habitual faculty. <laughs> and Damaha is the same thing. At the sense organ level also there is a natural craving. That also we make the mind see and again restrain meaning bring it back. Shamaha, Damaha. As a result, as the mind discovers an inner poise, as the mind discovers an inner silence, slowly and slowly, it will not want to run out itself. And when a time comes when the mind abides by its own self, that state of mind, which is an abiding mind, is called Uparama or Uparati. So, Shama, Tama and Uparama or Shama, Dama and Uparati. This is what the first three qualifications. Then we discussed Titiksha. All right. I am fine within myself. But what do I do if people violate me? The question is, yes, I don't violate anybody. I, I don't uh, hurt anybody. But people hurt me. What should I do at that time? It is, should I retaliate? Then the answer is, Titiksha. Titiksha means endurance, forbearance, forgiveness. So Titiksha, that is also an important requirement. So that I do not get disturbed or perturbed by all the changing favorable and unfavorable situations around me. Then, samadhanam, constant alertness, constant focus. That is possible only when, to the extent the mind has discovered shama, dhamma, uparama, titiksha. To that extent, the mind becomes free from distractions. And to that extent, the mind is able to maintain a focus. Maintaining the focus is called samadhanam. And constantly maintaining the focus of the objective that I am seeking and making sure that whatever I do or whatever I do not do, all of that is, becomes a means. That everything that I do or my whole being becomes a means for achievement of that objective. That's the total offering of myself to the goal or the objective that I have selected. This is called samadhanam. Samadhanam means focusing, single-pointedness. Uh, single pointed means a constant focusing of my mind upon the objective samadhanam. And finally comes what we call shraddha. Shraddha is that inner disposition by which I accept happily 
without resistance or without questioning or doubt, I accept the statements of the scriptures. That yes, this is true. So when I hear them, it just makes sense to me. You see, these must have experiences. Sometimes it happens when you hear this, yeah, that's right, right. So whatever that disposition of mind is, which, this, which sees this truth, it's not that you force yourself to say, no, this is right. But you see, yes, that is right, that everything makes sense to you. Understand that, that is called Shraddha. So, without any resistance and happily when I am able to accept the statements of the scriptures as delivered by the teacher. So in the scriptures and as the teacher, I have that natural trust or acceptance, faith. Not only that, but I see that yes, they are right. Satya buddhyavadharana. Shastrasya guru vakyasya satya buddhyavadharana. That what the Shastra of the scriptures say, Guru Vakya, and what the Guru says, Satya, it is right. So when my mind sees that, that frame of mind or disposition of mind is called Shraddha. It's ultimate tuning up with the scriptures and the teacher. So these are the necessary preparations within ourselves, which are known as Shamadi Shatka Sampattihi. The Viveka and the Vairagya, the discrimination and dispassion have completely been digested. Then I get that inner wealth, which is already there. All these qualifications are there within ourselves. That's a nice thing. That we have the discrimination. We have a dispassion. We have abidance. We have trust, faith, devotion. Everything is in there. We just have to invoke it. There are some obstacles. Obstacles in the form of uh, indiscrimination or indiscriminate thinking, indiscriminating behavior or false perception, put it this way. Because of false perception of life, our, our thinking patterns, our behavioral patterns have been such that we are in fact contradicting our own self. So as those contradictions get resolved, then we get a mind which is totally free, abiding, and thus, that is the kind of mind that is, the kind of mind that is required in order to see what the scriptures reveal. <coughs> And it, it, as I said, it's a matter of discovering all these wealth or qualities from within ourselves. We already exhibit them at points in time. At different times we do exhibit all of this. But we are not consistently able to exhibit all these qualities. Occasionally we do. That shows that they are there and some obstacle comes and again we find it has gone away. At some point in time there was great devotion in my heart, great trust of Shraddha was there. At other times it is not. Sometimes our mind is very objective, at other times it is not. Sometimes it is very quiet, at other times it is not. So, we must know that even at the moment when the time is, mind is quiet, or has in it the shraddha, the devotion, the dispassion, that is the real nature of the mind. Even though it may be evident only momentarily now and then, that is the real nature of the mind. And the rest of the time, when there are all kinds of doubts and distractions, that is not the real nature of the mind that all those doubts, distractions, impulses, all of these have arisen, as we said, on account of a distorted perception of life. As our perception gets corrected and gets assimilated, the mind slowly, slowly becomes abiding. And there arises in that mind the final thing called mamuksha. So the page, uh, passage 25 on the page 13 says, Mumukshutvam Mokshecha The fourth qualification of the sadhana chatushte sampatte is called Mumukshutvam. Mumukshu, this word is derived from the root much. Much means liberation, to liberate. To release or to liberate is the meaning of the root much. And from that is derived the words mumuksha. Mumuksha means a desire for liberation, a desire for release. It's called mumuksha. <clears throat> and the state of mind in which that mumuksha or the desire for liberation is, that state of mind is called mumukshutvam. A state of mind in which there is the desire for moksha or desire for liberation is called mumukshutvam. <clears throat> 
So that is, that is another qualification, a desire for liberation. Who doesn't have it? Mokshecha. Mokshecha means moksha secha, mokshecha. Icha means desire. And moksha means liberation. Mokshecha means a desire for liberation. If you think about it, this cannot really be a qualification. In the sense that other things we were able to do, the discrimination we can do, the restraint of the mind we can do, the maintaining the focus we can do. But icha or the desire is not something that we can do. In desire, there is no purushatantratvam, the will does not work when it comes to desire. Understand that desire arises. I cannot will to have a given kind of a desire. I cannot decide that after five minutes I will have such and such desire. Desire is something that arises in our mind. Desire is not something that we do. It is not that we deliberately desire a given thing. We find a desire arising in our mind. And therefore, so really speaking, we have no freedom in entertaining a desire. See, when you are instructed to do a given thing, you should be instructed to do that for which you have a freedom to do. So don't drink alcohol. Suppose we are told, okay, there is a freedom for me not to drink. Suppose we are told, don't breathe. Now that kind of an instruction cannot really be followed by us because not breathing is not within our scope. Of course that also you can do by restraining the breath, etc. But up to a point. Alright, uh, don't be alive, let us say, or, or don't be conscious, suppose we are told. Now this is something that we can't do. So we should be told only that which we can do. Suppose we are, don't be angry. Suppose such an instruction is given, it doesn't work. Because not being angry is not in my hand. I find that anger arises, anger happens. So there are things that happen. And when they happen by themselves, I find myself helpless. Therefore, you can say, don't lift your hand. Fine, because lift, to lift a hand or not lift a hand is in my, I mean, I am free to do that. And therefore, my will is applicable there. But don't get angry. You can say, don't talk. Okay, because not talking is within my uh, freedom, will. But don't get angry if you are told. We get frustrated because we are not able to follow those instructions. Similarly also, suppose you are told, love this person, you know. Is it possible to love? No. Love has to arise. Again, love also, we don't have what we call the freedom. Hi, you can do something. Give this person something, you know, help him, serve him, all of that we can do. But love him or her, we can't do that. It has to happen. So there are things that happen. Similarly, desire also is something that has to happen. We cannot will the desire. Desire is that which arises in our mind. And what is the basis of desire? You see, in a given situation, different kinds of desires will arise in different people. The same situation creates different kinds of responses from different people. When you are waiting in India at a bus stop and a beggar comes there begging for something, six people are standing there, each one of them shows a different response. Some fellow feels very compassionate or pity and therefore pulls out a coin and gives it to that fellow. Some other fellow says, what are you doing here? You are a healthy person, go out and work. That's how somebody else responds. Some third fellow just forget it, he abuses him. Some fourth fellow doesn't even look at him. So how different people respond differently to the same situation that depends upon the disposition of their mind. A given thing creates different desires in us. A given incident will create different responses also in different people depending upon their disposition of mind. Take the case of the famous event of the apple falling, you know. Now when an apple falls, in Newton, there arises this inquiry, desire, hey, why did the, to know, why did the apple fall? That's how Newton, that desire arises in Newton. And if, perhaps if I were there, I would wonder, hey, what's the make of this apple? What kind of an apple is this? That's what somebody else may want to know. 
Third fellow may say, hey, this is a ripe apple, let me eat it. Somebody else, some artist may say, beautiful apple, let me draw it. A photographer may say, hey, this is a nice apple, let me picture it. So how different people will respond to the same phenomenon differently depending upon their disposition of mind. So it requires a certain kind of a disposition for me to have this kind of a desire. What happened? Why did the apple fall down? Just to an Einstein or to some great scientist, these kind of questions will arise. <coughs> also in a person with certain bent of thinking, these questions will arise. Why? What is... Why am I... What am I? What is the purpose of this life? What am I doing here? Why am I born? What am I seeking? These questions arise only in certain minds, not in every mind. In most of the mind, the question that arises, where to get the next meal? What are I going to cook next? What am I going to do during this weekend? What movie is there tonight? What is the next football game? See, these, are, these kind of questions arise, depending upon the frame of their mind. So, what kind of response will arise towards life from us <coughs> will depend upon what frame of mind we are enjoying. So, that response we cannot determine, that desire we cannot determine, that desire or response towards life will automatically arise from within ourselves when a given frame of mind obtains. Thus, as a result of viveka, discrimination, vairagya, dispassion, shamadishatka sampatti, <coughs> that sixfold inner wealth, to the extent that these wealth is obtained, to the extent that my mind thus becomes purer and purer, to that extent my response to life and the questions that arise in my mind and the desire that my mind presents will also change. When I am hungry, the desire that arises is that of food. When I am in dining hall, perhaps the desire that will arise will be for having a cup of coffee. When I come to the temple, the desire that arises maybe will be perhaps to pray. And so, depending upon the disposition of the mind, desires arise. Our given situation invokes a given desire depending upon my own disposition of mind, depending upon my own samskaras or the built-in patterns or impressions in the mind. So when we acquire a frame of mind, when moksha, the desire for moksha arises, then you know that you are really ready for this knowledge. <coughs> because to have desire for moksha, desire for liberation, is not, it doesn't happen to everybody. And again, an intense desire for liberation is really called mumukshatvam. Will only happen in the mind that is pure. That is, has become free from its likes, dislikes, impulses, they can become free largely from the doubts and questions and what not. In that mind, the desire or yearning or, or, a const, or, or a, a, an intense desire or yearning for freedom or liberation will arise. <coughs> that is why this mokshatvam or mokshecha, desire for moksha, is considered to be a force qualification. Even though it is said to be a qualification which we should cultivate, it is not the qualification that we can really cultivate, but it is an indication of the extent to which the qualifications are cultivated. What is the nature of desires arising from my mind that will tell me what is the disposition of my mind has become pure. In a mind that is pure, the desire is for freedom, for knowledge. Sattvat sanjayate jnanam. When the mind is sattvic, when the mind is pure, then the desire that arises is the desire for knowledge. So, the desire for freedom, when that becomes only desire, understand that I am most qualified for the knowledge. I am most qualified for freedom, when all I need is, all I want is freedom. So, mumukshutvam, mokshetsha, desire for freedom, means that the only desire that is in my mind is mokshetsha or desire for freedom. <coughs> no other desire. Swami used to give us that example, you know, of a... Of the, a person who was cultivating or raising fish in his, in his backyard pond. Many fish are there. And what happens there is, the bigger fish eats the smaller fish. And that in turn is eaten by yet another bigger fish. 
and there is a fish lives on another fish and ultimately how many fish are left? Only one. The biggest fish will be left. And that fish will be consumed by the fisherman ultimately. Similarly also, this one stronger desire eats another stronger desire. And that is in turn consumed by yet another stronger desire. And ultimately, one desire, the strongest desire will remain, which is that mumuksha or desire for freedom. So this insight automatically arises. What am I seeking? That I am seeking freedom. I realize that the desire in and through every desire is, as we've been always saying, it is always a desire for freedom. Every moment I am seeking freedom. In what I do also, there is a desire for freedom. When I don't do something, then also there is a desire for freedom. So as I understand, it is a desire for freedom which alone is expressing itself in the form of various desires. Then that becomes the only desire. It is a culmination or maturity of what we call viveka or discrimination to realize that what I am seeking is only freedom or moksha. So mumukshatum, mokshecha, mokshecha, a yearning for just spiritual freedom. A yearning for freedom? Why spiritual freedom? Freedom is freedom. So a yearning or an intense desire for freedom. This this is what is mentioned by the first sutra in the Brahma Sutra, Athato Brahma Jignasa. In Brahma Sutra, the first sutra is Athato Brahma Jignasa. Atha Ataha Brahma Jignasa. Atha thereafter. Ataha because Brahma Jignasa, a desire to know Brahma. Jignasa, desire to know. Brahma Jignasa, desire to know Brahma. Therefore, thereafter, a desire to know Brahma. What is this? What is therefore? And what is thereafter? So there, there is a long discussion of what is meant by thereafter. What is meant by Atha or thereafter is after the cultivation of what we call these fourfold qualifications Viveka, Vairagya, Shamadi, Shatka, Sampatti. Since a desire for knowledge arises, it will arise. Since a desire or intense desire for moksha will automatically arise in a mind that is pure. Where these Viveka Vairagya are there. So desire for liberation or desire for knowledge is that which naturally arises and therefore it must be fulfilled and it must be fulfilled by the knowledge. So since in an aspirant or in a seeker with a mind which is pure, a desire for knowledge arises, therefore this text must be written to fulfill that desire. So Brahma Sutra is in response, that whole text is in response to a seeker in whom a yearning desire, an intense yearning for knowledge has arisen. So Mumukshutvam Mokshetcha. This is the ultimately, this is the only qualification. Who is qualified to gain the knowledge? One who has desire for knowledge. But who will have a desire for knowledge? The one in whom that Shamadi Shatka Sampatti is. Who will have Shamadi Shatka Sampatti? The one who has Vairagya is. Who will have Vairagya? In one in whom there is Viveka. That's why the sequence Viveka discrimination, which brings about Vairagya and dispassion, which brings about Shamadi Shatka Sampatti, the sixfold inner wealth, which brings about Mamukshutvam or an intense desire for moksha. It automatically happens. <coughs> so observe your own patterns of thinking and mind and see what is the most predominant desire. Is the most predominant desire for knowledge? Is the most predominant desire for liberation? Then certainly that is a qualification whether you are a man or a woman, western or eastern. There is no such, nobody says here where you should be born to be qualified or what should be your height and weight and appearance and education. No such qualifications are asked for here. There is no such discrimination or there is no such qualification. The only qualification, do you have a desire to learn? Do you have the desire to know? Then you are qualified. But that desire to know arises when a lot of other preparation is made within and that is what we discussed here. So, mokshutva mokshacha, a desire for moksha that arises in a mind which has uh, attained that maturity as a result of the shamadi shatka sampatti. <coughs> then somebody asks the question, oh, but then this mumukshutvam, there is also a desire. 
you are saying that all desire should go away. But then, this desire for moksha also is a desire. You say that as long as desire is, so long the knowledge cannot take place. And here you are saying that the very desire for moksha is a qualification. So as long as I have the desire for moksha, how can there be knowledge? Because you are telling us that desire is an expression of ignorance. A desire shows a certain lack. And when there is a desire in my mind, then my mind is focused upon the object of desire. And therefore, whenever my mind is focused upon some other object of desire, definitely it is not focused upon the self. So, mumukshutvam also, desire for moksha. If the desire is that, will it not keep my mind away from myself? Therefore, how can I gain knowledge when the desire is? But the answer is, that mumukshutvam or desire for moksha, meaning desire for myself. That's what it ultimately amounts to. So, desire for moksha is, desire for myself, desire for knowledge of the self. And therefore, it is that, this is one desire which in fact keeps my mind focused upon myself. Every other desire keeps the mind focused elsewhere. Mumuksha or the desire for moksha is one desire that in fact brings my mind to myself. So you can say that moksha or desire for moksha also is desire for the self. Atha akamayamanaha Ye akamaha, nishkamaha, atmakamaha, aptakamaha. Upanishad says that one who has become free from all the desires discovers in himself or herself a desire for the self. So, moksha, mumukshutvam or desire for moksha also amounts to the desire for the self. And that culminates into the knowledge of the self. That culminates into freedom from all the desires. So, this is one desire that can be fulfilled. No other desire can be fulfilled. In our life, various desires we are entertaining, really speaking, we cannot fulfill any desire. Well, it looks like it is fulfilled. But as we said, what is behind all the desires is really desire for freedom. And since nothing can give me freedom, in reality, no desire can be fulfilled. This is one desire, namely mumuksha, or desire for freedom. That's the only thing can be fulfilled, because freedom is my nature. Even this mumuksha or the desire of freedom also would have been an obstacle. If freedom was something to be acquired, since atma or the self is already free, therefore a desire for freedom will be fulfilled. Otherwise, no, other, even this desire also would have been an obstacle if atma were not free. So since this is a desire for attaining what is already attained, this is a desire for attainment of what is already attained, therefore that desire can be fulfilled. Like the desire of the tenth man to know the tenth man. That can be fulfilled because he himself is a tenth man. <clears throat> now, where did you get all these qualifications, Shama, Dhamma, etc.? Then the author is stating here, the source. We must know that this this text such as Vedanta Sara and such other texts which are called treatises, all of them have their source in Upanishad. They have also pramanyam or validity only when whatever they are saying here has been derived or has its root in the Upanishad. Therefore we will find that now and then this author will quote from the Upanishad to say that what we have said here is based on the statements of the Upanishad. And therefore here he quotes a statement from the Shruti. Evam Bhutaha Pramata Adhikare Shantaha Dantaha Ityadishutehe Uktancha Next page. Prashanta chittaya jitendriyaya cha Prashanta chittaya jitendriyaya cha Prahina doshaya yathokta karine Prahina doshaya yathokta karine Gunan vitaya nugataya sarvada Gunan vitaya nugataya sarvada Pradeya metat satatam mumukshave 
So the author quotes from Shruti Upanishad as well as Smriti. This this verse that we just chanted comes from a text called Upadesha Sahasri, which is uh, supposed to have been written by Shankaracharya. So whatever has been written by the earlier teachers also is quoted here in support of the views presented here as well as whatever is found in texts such as Upanishads, Bhagavad Gita, all those statements are also quoted here in support of the statements made in this text here. <coughs> and therefore, it was said, evam bhutah pramata adhikare. Pramata, such an aspirant, or pramata, the one who is desirous of knowing the true nature of the self, adhikare. He is the real qualified student. <coughs> How do you say? Shrutehe. Because of the Shruti statement. Because the statement of the Upanishad, Bhradharanika Upanishad, Shanto Dantaha, he just quotes only a portion of the statement. The full statement is Shanto Dantaha, Uparatas Titikshuhu, Samahito Bhutva, Atmaneva Atmanam Pashyati. There is a statement in Burhadaranika Upanishad, which says, Atmaneva Atmanam Pashyadi. One sees the self within the self. Atmanam Pashyadi. One sees the self. Atmani within oneself. Meaning one's own intellect, one gains a knowledge. One, in, own, in one's own mind or intellect, one gains a knowledge of self. When? Shantaha. When his mind is quiet. Sushama. Dantaha. When he is a person of self-control, meaning one whose sense organs are under control. Uparataha, one who enjoys an abiding mind, or one who is withdrawn from all the duties or unjoined duties. Titikshuhu, one who has forbearance or endurance. Samahito Bhutva, and one who enjoys a single-pointedness of the mind. So this is what Burhadaranika Upanishad says. <coughs> Bhruhadaranyaka Upanishad also has two recensions. And another recension has a different reading. Shraddhavitto Bhutva. Instead of Samahito Bhutva, another reading is Shraddhavitto Bhutva. So being possessed of the wealth of Shraddha. So combining these two statements, this author here has given us the sixfold qualifications. Shantaha, Dantaha, Uparataha, Titikshuhu, Shraddhavittaha, Samahitaha. <coughs> That's all. He is just quoting a statement of the Upanishad in support of what he has stated here. Then he says, Uktamcha. And also in a text called Upadesha Sahasri, this is stated. Prashanda Chittaya Jitendriyaya. Prahina doshaya yathokta karana. Says Shankaracharya Nupadesha Sahasri that edat satatam mumukshave pradeyam. So this knowledge must always be given to an aspirant. As the teacher also is given instruction that see that this knowledge of the self must be given to a qualified aspirant. When such an aspirant approaches you, in a proper manner. So when an aspirant or a seeker of knowledge approaches a teacher, a competent teacher, in an appropriate manner, then it almost as though becomes a duty of the teacher to impart knowledge to that aspirant. So who is, what is the nature of the aspirant? Prashanda chittaya. Prashanda chittaya means shantaya, one whose chitta or the mind is absolutely quiet, free from distractions, free from ragadveshas, free from likes and dislikes and desires, one who enjoys a quiet frame of mind. Jitendriyaya Jitendriya, meaning one who has conquered his indriya, one who has conquered his sense organs. Jitendriyaya meaning one who enjoys the qualification called Dhamma. Prahina doshaya. Prahina doshaya, one who is free from the dosha or the false. Nitanda nirmala svantaya, one who is free from likes, dislikes, and impurities is called prahina doshaya, one whose mind has become free from doshas or impurities. Yathok takarane, 
yathokta karane so one who follows the instructions instructions of the scriptures yathokta karane kam minishiddha varjana purasaram nityad anusthana labdhishwara pritae so yathokta karitva meaning doing what you should do is also a qualification that here the shruti of the scriptures enjoin various duties daily and daily and incidental obligatory duties are enjoined upon a person by the scriptures the person who faithfully and devotedly follows that yathokta karane they say you should perform this daily worship he does it you should perform this obligatory and incidental worships occasional worships he follows that stay away from this prohibited acts he stays away don't indulge into this desire prompted acts he does not indulge this is called yathoktakari who does what is told and what does it happen that earns for him what we call ishwara priti or grace of lord because when there is this worship in his life he acquires the grace of lord and that is how acquires his qualifications yathoktakarane you can say obedient and gunanvitaya anvitaya endowed with guna meaning virtue one who is endowed with all the virtues see how important it is to have virtuous life how important it is to have virtues in our life viveka vairagyo parati tiriksha samadhana yukta one who has the virtues of discrimination dispassion endurance forbearance all of these virtues one who has amanitvam anambhitvam so humility one has non pretentiousness non violence truthfulness so these virtues one who has gunanvitaya anugataya sarvada anugataya one who follows one who submits to the teacher anugataya sarvada gurum anugataya shraddhalave one who shraddha or the faith in the teacher one who serves the teacher one who follows the teacher when you find a student such as this sarvada pradeyam etat satatam mumukshave then this knowledge should necessarily be given to this aspirant who is a desire of freedom and this is what the the text called upadeshu sahasri says this statement is quoted here in order to support the statements made in this text here <coughs> okay so sadhana chatushta sampanna pramata adhikari remember that we are in the process of discussing what is known as anubandha chatushta anubandha chatushta the four factors the four primary factors the four primary questions or the four primary requisites which must be stated and which must be there in order to commence the study of any text and these four factors are adhikari the qualified aspirant then vishaya the subject matter of the text prayojanam the purpose to be attained as a result of study and sambandha the connection that the subject matter has with the text this four four factors must be understood must be stated this author is in the process of discussing this four four factors of that the discussion of the first factor is completed the first factor was adhikari the qualified student who is a qualified student one who has the four four qualifications so don't confuse the two four four things one the one f- set of four factors are called anubandha the aspirant the subject matter the purpose and the connection these are called anubandha of that the first factor is aspirant or adhikari who is adhikari one who has four four qualifications viveka vairagya samadhishtaka sampatti mumukshutvam therefore those four four qualifications were discussed in order to discuss what we call adhikari the qualified student so that discussion is complete now we come to the second of the four factors namely vishaya or the subject matter tadevam adhikari anubandham nirupitah idanim vishaya anubandham vyapadishati now the author starts discussing the second anubandha second question or the second requisite called vishaya or the subject matter what is the subject matter of this text which is the same as the subject matter of vedanta okay what is the subject matter or the theme of vedanta what is it that the vedanta expounds that is also what we should understand we should know and that is what is stated here in the 27th passage 
page 15. Vishayaha Jeeva Brahma Aikyam Shuddha Chaitanyam Prameyam Tatra Eva Vedantanam Tatparya Vishaya Vishaya means subject matter. <coughs> what is subject matter? Jiva Brahma Aikyam. Aikyam, the identity. Between what? Jiva and Brahma. So Jiva Brahmanoho Aikyam, Jiva Brahma Aikyam. Aikyam means oneness or identity. Identity between Jiva and Brahma is called Jiva Brahma Aikyam. So this is what the Upanishads address themselves to. The Upanishads address themselves to revealing this truth. This happens to be the truth and that is what the Upanishads reveal. And what is the truth? That Jiva is Brahma. There is a famous statement attributed to Shankaracharya. Shlokardena pravakshyami yaduktam grantha kodivihi Brahma satyam jagan mithya jivo brahmiva namaparaha. Shankaracharya says, I am going to tell you in one verse what has been stated in countless big volumes, the countless big volumes of Vedanta and other scriptures, what is all said in those big volumes, I am going to say that in one verse. This is proposition, which occupies half a verse, you know. Of the one verse, the first line is this, that I am going to tell you in one verse what has been said in all these countless big volumes. So what are you going to say? Brahma Satyam Jagan Mithya Jeevo Brahmaivanaparaha Brahma Satyam, that Brahma is Satyam, that is the truth. That Brahma is truth. Jagan Mithya, Jagat or creation is Mithya, is unreal. Jeevo Brahmaivanaparaha This Jeeva, the individual, is nothing, none other than Brahma. The Jeeva is none other than Brahma, na paraha, Jeevo Brahmaiva, Jeeva is indeed Brahma, na paraha, na other, not other than this. So this is the theme of Vedanta. Brahma Satyam, Brahma is the truth. Satyam, Gnanam, Anantam. Truth is that which is changeless. Truth is that which is ever faithful. Truth is that which does not subject itself to, is not subject to modifications. Truth is that which ever remains the same in all the period of time is called Satyam. And what is Satyam? Brahma alone is Satyam. So Brahma Satyam, what is Brahma? The very word Brahma reveals what it is. As you must have heard, the word Brahma is derived from the root Bruch in the sense of growth, in the sense of bigness. So Brahma means that which is big. And bigness in which there is no qualification added. So Brahma means that which is unqualified big. So what Brahman itself reveals, what it is, that it is big. The big. Without any boundary or qualification into the bigness. Meaning it is limitless. So what Brahma itself reveals it to be what? Limitless. So there is the truth in this life. First of all we are told that the life has truth. That everything is based on truth. That there is satyam or the truth or reality in life. And what is that reality? Brahman. What does it mean? The limitless or the complete or boundless. So the reality or the truth of the life is completeness, limitlessness, boundlessness. That alone is called God. So for God, the word that is used in Vedanta is Brahman. So, Brahma Satyam, that God or Brahma. And what is his nature? Limitless, complete, boundless. That is the truth. That is the essence. And what is truth? Truth is that which is everywhere. It is the truth of the whole universe. It is the truth of everything. Yato vayamani bhutani jayante, yena jatani jivante, yat prayante abhisam vishante. That from which the whole universe has arisen, by which the universe is sustained, unto which the universe goes back, know that to be Brahman. 
So Brahman also is what we call Jagat Karanam, the cause of the creation. Cause is the truth of the effect. You know why is Brahman called the cause of creation? Because cause is always the truth of the effect. For example, clay is the cause and parts are the effect. So what is the truth of the parts? Clay. Why do we say that? Because without the clay, the part cannot be. So just as the gold is the truth of the ornaments, or the water is the truth of the waves, the clay is the truth of all, all the parts. Similarly also, what is the truth of this whole universe which is so diverse and variegated? Brahma is the truth of this whole universe. In order to say that, it is said that the whole universe has originated from Brahman, is sustained by Brahman, it goes back into Brahman. Just as the whole world of parts have originated from clay, it is sustained by clay and it goes back into clay. Therefore we say that the clay is the truth or the essence of parts. And similarly also, also, where has the whole world originated from? From Brahman. What sustains it? Brahman. Where does it go back in dissolution? Into Brahman. So that Brahman is changeless, limitless. It is truth. That is the essence of this whole universe. Where is that Brahman? Who is that Brahman? Brahma said. And then what about this world? It says Mithya. The world of names and forms is Mithya. It only enjoys a relative reality. Like the pot is Mithya and the clay is Satyam. Because the pot which is name and form doesn't enjoy an existence separate from the clay. And similarly also the worlds of names and forms does not enjoy an existence separate from Brahman. Brahma is Satya or Truth and the Jagat names and forms is Mithya. Alright, where is that Brahman? Jeeva Brahmaiva. That Brahman, the Truth, the essence of the whole universe is not to be found elsewhere. It is the very self. So this is the knowledge or this is the vision of the truth which the Upanishads reveal. Jiva, Brahma, Aikyam. Who is this Jiva? Jiva is in fact a limited being, small in every respect. Brahman by the very name reveals the limitless. And Jiva, we know who I am. I am limited in every respect. Limited in my knowledge, limited in my power, limited in my abilities, in every way limited. So this, there is a self, there is a contradiction right there to say that Jiva is Brahma. To say that this limited being is limitless is a contradiction. But that contradiction is only, how can that be so? Then Upanishad says, what is the nature of the Jiva? That the limitations that the Jiva experiences are also mithya, they are also false. And in reality, Jiva also is None other than Brahman, the limitless. So Upanishad reveals this truth that you are limitless, that I am limitless, that everyone is limitless. And limitless cannot be many, and therefore everyone is one. That's why Purnamadah, Purnamidam. Purnam means limitless. You are also limitless, I am also limitless, everyone is limitless. Even a mosquito is limitless. How can it be? Mosquito is limited in every way. As far as the body is concerned, mind is concerned, name and form is concerned, the mosquito is limited. But as far as the essence is concerned, the mosquito is limitless. And you and I are no big, bigger than mosquitoes as far as uh, the, as far as Muhammad Ali is concerned, we are mosquitoes, you know. But then, we are mosquitoes with reference to only this body, this mind, the name and form. But in essence, we are also limitless. How, how many limitlesses can there be? Only one. If there is more than one limitless, every limitless will exclude every other limitless and therefore limitless has to be one alone. And therefore the truth or essence of everyone is one. Like truth of all the waves is one water. So also the truth of every limited, every jiva or every limited being is one God, Brahman or the limitless. Not only the living beings of whatever there is in the creation, sentient or insentient, the truth is Brahman, the limitless. That's called Jiva Brahma Aikyam. <clears throat> okay, we'll continue with it tomorrow. Om Puranamadav Puranamidam Puranat Puranamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade 